Good day, friends. This is Pastor Zach. Welcome to the One Year Bible Podcast. I've always wanted to talk like that, but I can't really do it. So I'm just going to talk like I regularly talk where I'm stumbling over my speech. Anywho, welcome to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is day number 31. Tomorrow is going to be hard because it's going to be like February 1st, day number 32. It's going to be confusing from here on out. Speaking of confusing from here on out, in a few days, there's it's going to be some hard sledding in the Old Testament. We'll work through it, but thank you for joining me today as we jump in and we look at Exodus. All right, let's jump right in. I have a beef to pick with the new international version, the NIV, when we get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. Let me grab it. It says this. This is a day you are to commemorate, that is the Passover, is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Well, most of that's okay. I just don't like the word commemorate. Now, most of that is just fine, but it leaves out the idea of memorial or remembrance. Check out the English Standard Version. It says this, this day, this Passover day, shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast. The reason this is important, because in the New Testament, we hear these words, do this in remembrance of me. The remembering is not just, think about the times past, get as close as you can to the event of God's salvation in the past. No, it is it is actually the opposite. It's not us going back in time. It's the It's God coming forward in time, God bringing his salvation in time, or, or transporting us in this time, back to his salvation, then he's bypassing time. I know it sounds confusing, but look at in chapter 13, verse 14. So we have these two verses, chapter 12, 14, and then chapter 13, 14. And this is what chapter 13, 14 says. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought not our fathers, not our grandfathers, but with a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. This memorial meal, this remembering, transports us back to that salvation, or it transports that salvation to us. It is our salvation, even though in times to come, it won't literally have been experienced by the sons and grandsons and granddaughters and all the people down the line, but it is the bringing of God's salvation right now in the present time. So that translates to us when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was on Passover. It was a memorial meal. He takes the elements of Passover and fulfills them. It is his Passover. It is his memorial meal where he brings us his salvation. His exodus, we could say, is what he accomplished on the cross and in the empty tomb that he's risen again. That salvation is brought forward in time to us. Or we could say we are brought back in time to that salvation when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, you experience right now that salvation. Here's one thing where Lutherans are a little bit different than, say, um, evangelicals. If you ask an evangelical Christian, when did you get saved? When were you saved? They'll think, yeah, when did I pray that prayer? When did I say, oh God, come into my heart and forgive my sins and, and lead me on? Uh, when, when did I say the sinner's prayer? When did I come down the aisle? They'll look to an event that they did, whereas... Lutherans, or at least Lutherans ought to, they instead say, when was I saved? 
Well, when Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus rose from the dead, that's when I was saved. Wait, well, that was like 2,000 years ago. Were you saved 2,000 years ago? Yeah, I was. And when I have faith, and especially when it's confirmed with this memorial meal, I'm transported back to that salvation. Just like the Israelites were transported back to the, the Passover. Pretty cool. All right. Well, thanks for letting me be on a soapbox today. <laughs> That was quite a bit. You may have been confused by the terms. Uh, there's the Passover and then there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, it's all one event. The Passover is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It, it is a, it's basically an eight-day celebration where they're, they're put together. It begins with Passover and then it continues. In the first Passover, the actual event of, of the Exodus and the Passover it, this was just a one-day feast. That's why they had to be so ready to go later in time. They would then add this feast of unleavened bread after the festival or the feast of Passover. And then there is the actual occurrence of the, the first Passover, the destruction, the sending out by Pharaoh. And Moses tells us how many there are, about 600,000 men. There's probably about 2 million Israelites who are on the way are taken off in haste on this very first Passover. And can you imagine? Take a look. There's, there's about 600,000 men. There's probably 2 million Israelites. And they go. They take off and they, they flee uh, to go worship the Lord in the wilderness. And we know they won't be there just for three days. Just one note in chapter 1242, it says, looking back in time after the 430 years they lived there, Moses says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. In the Christian tradition is picked up and we call the, the vigil, the Easter vigil. It's the day before Easter. It's the Easter Saturday. And we call it a, a night of watching, a night to recall the stories where God brought his salvation to people in the past. And and there's 12 different texts that are read. Sometimes we shorten it because it is an all-night affair. It's, it's an all-night vigil. In our tradition, we shorten it a bit. But the text that are always read includes this one from Exodus chapter 12, the, the Passover of the Lord. I noticed this in chapter 13. I don't know if, if this was confusing to you. It's always been confusing to me. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And I thought, well, why is this? And again, it's, it's symbolism to teach the people of Israel who their Lord is. And re, of course, we know on this night, this Passover night, the Lord spared all the firstborn sons on Passover. These sons, these firstborns are in some sense his. They're his firstborns. He spared them. And this is what I read about this is that well, two things. One is that these firstborn that were spared, they're representative of Israel. They symbolize Israel. Remember how Israel was described as my firstborn? Go back to chapter 4. And so the second thing is, each of these firstborn sons who were spared, each of them will be a living reminder of Israel's calling to be that firstborn, to be that firstborn son. God had mercy. And so we live our lives as those who have been rescued. Check out Romans chapter 12. 
Paul says this in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another confusing section for me is this. He says, well, verse 11 starts like this, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites. Not if you get there, if the Lord brings you there, but when he brings you. It's a good reminder that that this depends on God. God will uh, bring them to where they need to be. And it says this, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. And this, again, flows from the first couple of verses, but then it, it comes back to it. All the firstborn of the animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. This seems so oh, countercultural. Like, when is, when's the last time you talked about this? Redeeming a donkey with a lamb? Redeeming... A, a firstborn son. Well, again, uh, as I was trying to figure this out, donkeys are never mentioned as sacrificial animals. So if you're going to redeem them, you need to redeem them with another animal, a lamb. And if you're not going to redeem it, if you're not going to honor the Lord, uh, his, his ownership of it, you're going to uh, break its neck. So there's no bloodshed. It's not a sacrifice. The Lord has particular things, particular animals that he will use as sacrificial animals. And the other thing that's mentioned here is that you shall redeem your sons, the firstborn son. This is a reminder that we are set apart to life and that your sons will not be sacrificed. Even though in the land of Canaan, you'll see this as you read through the Bible, that there was many times when people would sacrifice their sons. They would burn their sons as a burnt offering. And the Lord says, no, that, is, that will not be the case no human will be sacrificed, uh, but a lamb will be sacrificed in its place. And this this points us forward to Jesus. The only human sacrifice, I guess we could say, acceptable to God is the one that he himself would undergo for us. Wow. Well, there's a whole bunch here in Exodus 12 and 13. I hope you weren't overwhelmed with it. I hope there's some things that you can uh, recenter on. I love the fact that, that God says uh, that he, he brings his salvation to us by this memorial meal. Also, this is confusing to me that there's a lot of Christians who think what we really need to celebrate is not the Lord's Supper. That's uh, that's too modern and new. We need to be like the, our Jewish brothers and sisters and, and celebrate uh, the Passover, the Seder. Well, you are missing it, I think, because the Passover Seder, as real and beautiful as it was, it pointed forward to this, to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Passover. And we don't celebrate it only one time, one time a year, but often, as often as the Lord says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. By the way, in this story that we're reading in, in Exodus and, and Numbers and so on, as we keep on moving, the people of God, the Jews, they celebrated Passover on the very first Passover. And then we'll read in, in Numbers chapter, I think it's nine, that they'll celebrate it again. But then Joshua 5 tells us that they did not celebrate it for the whole 40 years of wandering. So they they experienced God's salvation. They they then obeyed God and, and celebrated it the very next year. 
And then they fell off the wagon. In some ways, they didn't celebrate it again when they were wandering. Just an interesting note. Everything we have read in the Exodus account of redeeming the firstborn, and Israel is the firstborn, and the firstborn sons symbolize all of Israel. Well, that's, that's a good segue from what we, we finished yesterday, where Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to redeem many. The Lord is telling us that he has come to be this fulfillment of Exodus, the one who would redeem not only those from house of slavery, but those all those firstborn, all of us who are chosen by God. All right, so uh, the story continues today. I love how, how Jesus is leaving Jericho and, and he heals uh, two blind men who, who know who he is. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Again, that, that same prayer, Lord, have mercy, Kyrie uh, eleison, uh, Lord, have mercy on, on us. They knew he is the son of David, the king uh, who would come to reign. So Jesus re- recovers their sight and they follow him on the way. And what is the way? Well, they go straightway to Jerusalem. Jesus knows things that only he can know. In some sense, yes, he's limited his omniscience. He's told us things that, for instance, we'll read that only the father knows when he will come again. So he's purposefully limited himself while on earth, but he still has amazing knowledge, things that uh, that he should not know. So he sends them in, he sends a couple of disciples into the next village to get a colt and, and all that. And this is in fulfillment of, of, of Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What a beautiful scripture that that is. I love how the crowds, and this is verse 9, Matthew 21, 9, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They know who he is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus, the prophet. Remember Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses said, I will, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And that's, this is the one, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of all places in, of Galilee. Well, where, where did Jesus go? He had thousands and thousands of, of people cheering him on as, as the son of David. And he comes in, you'll read this later, like Solomon on this symbol of, of kingship coming into the, the city of David. He comes in and he has the power. The people are following him, cheering for him. And he comes over the hill and he sees there the temple on one side and, and the Roman garrison and the place where the, the governor would be. And he comes in and where does he go? To the temple, the place where the Lord's name was meant to be. And what does he do when he gets there? He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. It is not a place to exchange money. It is a place uh, to pray. And that's what he says. It's this place, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Yeah, there's a lot we could think about here. But get this, uh, Matthew is alone in telling us this, this next account. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He's always healing, even as, even as he rides in as the king, the son of David. He's healing in the temple. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? They're, they're appraising you as the son of David. 
as God's representative on earth. Don't you hear? And Jesus says, yeah. Haven't you ever read, and then he quotes from Psalm 8, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Look at this. Look at the strength of these babies. Look at this praise that is directed to the son of David. I'm not going to make them stop. They are doing what they are supposed to. Didn't you hear along the way that to the little children belongs the kingdom? It makes me think, too, if Jesus were not from some other realm, if he were not the king of glory, if he were not the Lord himself, he would not receive praise and and honor like this. This is no ordinary praise. He is being worshipped by these children, and he is there singing his praise, and he's telling them, yeah, this is right. We'll end there with this mystery of Jesus. May no fruit ever come from you again. What is Jesus doing here? Does he not know that there won't be fruit there? Of course he knows, right? He knows everything. This is a picture of the curse upon those who will reject him, those who ought to know better. Quite a warning. Well, we'll stop here for today. Keep reading and thinking, pondering and praying. Keep growing in faith. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.